0: and I invite you to open your copy of the Word of the Lord this morning. We're gonna be skipping ahead a little bit this morning to Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15. Um, Kind of going a little out of sequence. This is uh, a sermon that was kind of on my heart all week thinking about, and uh, as I was working on this week's sermon, uh, I just kind of kept coming back to these principles and uh, just thought, well, Maybe that uh, means something, and so, uh, so we're coming to this this morning. Matthew 15, verses 21 and 28, and um, I invite you, since we, already, since we already stood, I just invite you to stay seated and just to uh, listen and receive the word of the Lord uh, as I read it to you this morning. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely depressed, oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the sheep of the house of Israel, but she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, "O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire And her daughter was healed instantly. Says the word of the Lord. May he add his blessings to the explanation and application of it this morning. Let's pray again real quickly. Lord, as we read these words, they are confusing words. A little out of the ordinary of of how we see that you responded to those who came near you. And yet, Lord, there are principles here for us this morning that we need to learn and apply to our lives. And so I pray that as we are looking through these things, that you would superintend everything that's said. May everything be said and done to the honor and glory of your praise. May everything that is said be done to the edification of your people. And Lord, most of all, may you be glorified. I pray that you would move me aside this morning and you would speak to the hearts of each of us here. It is in your name we pray, amen. So maybe you've uh, been here before, something very similar to this, where maybe you, when you first started in this relationship, it had such promise. It had such, um, such a feeling of fulfillment and such a feeling of, of greatness. And you're thinking of all the wonderful things that it could be, you were excited about your new life together, promises were made, hope was fresh and new, the wedding was a symbol of the hope that you once had, but, but as you've gone on, things have began to change to where all of a sudden that hope and that freshness that you had at the beginning has kind of faded and now every time, you're, every time you try to bring it up, there's, there's arguments and your spouse's interest in you has faded, they spend less time with you. There are, there are no conversations, no fun. And when you try to bring it up, all it starts is a fight. Maybe you're there. Or maybe you're here this morning and you are concerned about your child's or your grandchild's lack of commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe they prayed a prayer years ago, and, and maybe you have a little hope in that, but as you see the fruit of their life, you are beginning to understand that more than likely, at least judging by the fruit, more than likely, they are not believers, and that they are in the process of apostasy. They are in the process of abandoning the faith, and, and you're concerned about that. Maybe you're here this morning and you are inching close to retirement and maybe it's not even a voluntary retirement maybe it is a forced retirement and to add insult to injury your boss is making you train your replacement you know they do that sometimes and maybe in all of these scenarios or maybe you find yourself in a scenario similar to this maybe not exactly like I've said but but similar to this And you have been praying and praying and praying, crying out, crying out, crying out to God, waiting for him to answer, and yet no answer seems to be coming. And you wonder, where is God? Why is he not answering my prayers? And so the question is, how do you respond? Where is God? Is he really there And if he is, does he really care about me and and what's going on here and why is he letting this happen? (sighs) Maybe you're on the edge of hope and you're you're thinking maybe it's just better to give up. And so, beloved, my purpose this morning is is to encourage you in a scenario just like that. You know, the fact of the matter is is that there is nothing more gut-wrenching and nothing more heart-wrenching than the the feeling that God is not going to answer your prayers. That you're calling out and calling out and calling out, and yet God is just silent. Where is he? What is he doing? Why is he allowing this? And maybe you're here this morning wondering, is there any hope, is there any way that God is actually going to answer this prayer? I wanna encourage you this morning to to persevere in the faith. I wanna encourage you this morning to persevere in faith and persevere in prayer like this woman did. And so let me give you a little context here just to let you know what's going on. Jesus has been having a full day of ministry. In fact, you can see some of that. Um, and looking back in, in, verse, in chapter 14 and verse 34, you see kind of the, the process of what's happening here. And when they, that's Jesus and his disciples, had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret... And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent all around to that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. As many as touched him, it were made well. Let me just give you this scenario here that, that amazing things are happening, miracles are happening. Jesus has come into a new town and all the men of the city are recognizing him and they're bringing all of their sick. And they know that that it's there's such a powerful movement of healing going on here that even if they just just touch the hem of his garment, they are able to be well, and they're able to be healed. What an amazing thing. Can you imagine anyone who has seen this being a little crosswise at it? <clears throat> well, it's not hard to imagine, because that's exactly what happens. And the Pharisees, in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 1, came to him and says, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And you read that and you're just like, do what? All of this amazing stuff is going on and you're worried about, hey, yeah, all that's good and all, but uh, you did not wash your hands. How dare you? You know any Pharisees hung up on hand washing? Yeah, I do. I know some. And so... The question is, you look at this and you wonder, why in the world would would they be worried about this? And yet this whole question and this whole chapter is now going to deal with this idea of what is it really that defiles us and what is it really that makes us clean? And that's the whole theme of this chapter. We're gonna see it come up over and over and over again. Like for example, In verse 20, it says, but to eat with unwashed hands is not what defiles a person, but Jesus brings it back to the heart, and he brings it back to what is really going on. And so now, and this is going to be very important to this story, because now, as we see, and beginning in verse uh, 21, that Jesus has got to get away. He's had a busy day of ministry, obviously. He's got to get away. He goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, because chances are there's not a lot of people that would follow him up here. In fact, the Gospel of Mark says he's specifically going up there in order to try to kind of get away from the crowds, and yet... Because it's Jesus and because his popularity is going all over, he just simply cannot do that. And, and sure enough, and he's coming in town in verse 22, behold, a Canaanite woman starts making a ruckus that he is there. And I'm gonna be honest with you that the first time I ever read this text, I gotta be honest with you, it was a very troubling text because we don't often see Jesus react like this, do we? He comes across as uncaring, unconcerned, distant, and quite frankly, even a little racist. And so you have to wonder, what is Jesus doing here? I mean, I wanna be honest with you, in evangelism 101 class, this is probably not the text you're gonna be studying. Okay, just to be honest with you, this is probably not, not what's gonna happen. And yet there are principles here that we need to see as Christians, and even as unbelievers, there are things you need to hear from this text this morning that is gonna speak to our lives. During those times when we are wondering, where is God? Why is he silent? What is he doing? What we need to do in those times is we must persevere in the faith, especially when it seems like God is so distant from us especially when it seems like God is not answering our prayer, especially when it seems like we are in the dark night of the soul, as the church fathers would refer to it. And so how do we, how do we persevere during those times? And we're going to look at how this woman persevered. And, and we see that in four different ways. This, faith, this woman's faith is absolutely remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And so let's look at four ways. And by the way, I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. I do apologize for that. I know it makes it a little easier for you guys, but but I just sit back and and enjoy and, and be ministered to by the word this morning. So when we persevere from the faith, we must do it, number one, even when God seems silent even when God seemed silent. In verse 21 and 22, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She is so desperate. In fact, when it says she's crying out, you get the implication that she's crying this out over and over and over again. It's something that she keeps calling out, keeps calling out, keeps calling out. And so now she doesn't give us a lot of details about her daughter, but the word oppressed here by a demon, that word is only used one other time and it is used in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark. Mark. Mark gives us some more details and you can also see this in Matthew 17 about what is happening when this young boy was oppressed by a demon. For example, he was mute, he couldn't talk. And whenever it would seize him, it would slam him to the ground. He would foam at the mouth, he would grind at the teeth. He stiffens out, it throws him into convulsions, rolls around on the ground And it has even thrown him into the fires and into water. In other words, this demon is literally trying to destroy this young man. And it's the same word that is used to describe this young daughter here. And I want you to just put yourself in this scenario. Because I know we all know what's about to happen, but this woman didn't. And I want you to just think about if you're watching something like this happening to your son, your daughter, or to your grandson or to your granddaughter. Maybe for some of you, it's not that hard to imagine because you've had to live through it. And you know that there is no expense, there is nothing that you would not do in order to try and bring some relief and some healing to the one that you love. Imagine watching helplessly as this poor child is being stiffened out, is foaming at the mouth, is having things that look like seizures, and and even when they have these spells and attacks, this demon literally tries to throw them in fire, throw them in water, trying to drown them, trying to burn them, literally trying to destroy this child's life, and you are sitting here watching over this, and you are completely helpless to do anything to help them. And you'll get a sense of the desperation of this woman, just a little taste of the de- desperation. She sees Jesus, and and I imagine she has spent probably money. She has probably found charlatans. She's probably gone to packed-out stadiums for the latest faith healer to come around. Maybe she didn't do that, but she did something very similar. She's probably gone to Jewish exorcists. She's probably gone to Gentile and pagan exorcists and all of this stuff who claim they had the way in order to help her, and they've probably taken everything that they have, spent all of her money trying to heal find some kind of healing for her daughter. How do I know that? Wouldn't you? I would. There is nothing too expensive to provide healing for my children. There is not enough money in the world that would stop me from, I I would go into debt for the rest of my life if I had to. I I would be homeless if I had to. I would do everything if I had to so that my children could be whole, wouldn't you? And so you can imagine the desperation that there's one chance now this healer has come up from Jerusalem and now she sees him and from a distance she's crying, Lord, Jesus, have mercy on me. And yet look how Jesus responds. In verse 23, he did not answer her a word he was silent. And she's crying on and on and on, and Jesus is just ignoring her. Why is that? Now, some people try to soften this, and they say, well, you know, what probably happened was that Jesus didn't hear her. That's not what the text says. The text says, he did not answer her a word. He heard her, and even if he didn't hear her, he's God, he knows she's there. And yet he does not answer her a word. In other words, you could say it this way. If I were translating this for teenagers or, or something like this, I might translate it this way. But she didn't even get a word out of him. You ever said something like that about your spouse? He didn't even, I, I couldn't even get a word out of him today, right? That's kind of the idea here. Couldn't get a word out of Jesus. He was just silent. He was stoic. He was, he was ignoring her even, it seemed like. You know, beloved, many times it's not necessarily what we're going through that's so bad. It's the fact that we don't know when it's going to end and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray. It's, 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 it's going to be, uh, it, it's, we cry out over and over and over again, God, bring some resolution to this. And yet, it seems like the answer is just not coming. It seems like your, your, your prayers are hitting the brass and golden foundation of heaven and just bouncing right back to you. Just not breaking through the floor. Jesus' silence is deafening, is it not? And one of the most heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching feelings in the Christian life is praying and praying for something and, and not receiving a response from God. And you know, for some people, when they don't hear an answer from God, they would be tempted to give up. They would be tempted to toss it aside. They would be tempted to say, Well, God's not interested in me. I guess I'm not going to be interested in him or whatever. But not this woman. Not this woman. She kept on. And what we see in her faith is that we must persevere in faith even to when God seems distant. When God seems distant. Look at verse the rest of verse 23 says, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Now, keep in mind, he's not even addressing the lady yet, right? He's, his disciples are walking up to Jesus and say, Lord, just send her away, dude. She's bugging us, right? Lord, send her away. She keeps crying out. And we already saw this in the verb tense, but now we see it, that she is not just saying this once. She's saying it over and over and over again. They came here for peace and quiet, but now they've got this woman over here who won't stop calling attention to him. And they're saying, Lord, just send her away. Do whatever you need to do. Give her what she wants. Just send her away. Get her out of here. She's bugging us. By the way, you ever do that with your kids? you know what, it's all right. Take the whole cookie jar. Just leave me alone. <laughs> you ever, am I the only sinner? Am I the only sinful parent in the room that's ever done that? Okay, so you know you've all done that. You know your parents did it to you. We've all done that. And you know by doing that, that the disciples, when they do this, they're not, te- they're not asking the Lord to send her away out of a concern for her. They just want quiet, they don't care about her healing. They don't care about what's going on with her. They're just saying, Lord, send her away so she quit bugging us because we have important kingdom business to do and we cannot, be, we cannot be interrupted by this poor person over here with a need. By the way, I know a lot of churches like that. I know a lot of churches like that. Don't you know we have a worship service to get to? I can't help this person. I don't have time for that ain't nobody got time for that. You know? We we just we say that stuff like that, don't we? We catch ourselves if we're not careful. And so, but look what Jesus says. She's crying out, crying out, the disciples are irritated and look what Jesus says in verse 24. He answers, "I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." Now, I get the impression from this, and, and I could be wrong. So this is, this is randiology, this is not theology, so take it for what it is. But you know sometimes when we are talking to someone, and I might be saying something to Stefan, but I'm saying it in a way that I want Aaron to hear it. You ever done that before, right? I'm talking to Stefan, but really what I'm saying is not for Stefan, it's for all of you. And I get the impression that maybe that's what Jesus is doing here. I I can't prove that by by the language or anything. But I do kind of get the impression here that Jesus turns over to the disciples and he says, I was sent only to the house, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's almost like he's saying, sorry, we don't care about your needs because you're not a member of our church. Sorry, we're not going to help you because you're not a member here. It almost seems like that's how he's coming across. And and to be honest with you, I've actually heard churches use this passage in that way before. But I don't think that's the point here. Because number one, it's not inconsistent with what other texts say. For example, uh, Matthew 10, 5 through 6, he sends, we're going to see this when we get into chapter 10, that when he sends the disciples out on mission, he tells them, go only to the house of Israel. Luke 1, 16 says that Jesus will turn the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. He says to the Samaritan woman in in John 4, he says, for salvation is of the Jews. So this is not inconsistent with what he said in other places. But at the same time, what we see here is that Jesus has helped other people that were not Jewish. In fact, we saw that in John chapter 4. He talked to the Samaritan woman. He goes and spends several days in a Samaritan village. They're, They're not Jews. We see many people from many different nations in Mark chapter three. We see a Roman centurion in in Matthew chapter eight. Jesus is willing to help other people who are not Jews. It just seems like he's unwilling to help this non-Jewish woman. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, Lord, you've done this for other people. You've answered their prayers. Why won't you answer mine? Ever wondered that? Sure you have. She was not an Israelite. In fact, worse, she was a Canaanite. Think about this. If Israel had actually obeyed God in the beginning, this woman would have never existed. This woman didn't even have a right to be on the earth. Right? She was she she was not from, she was from the uncircumcised people. She was separate from God. She was excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger to the covenant. She had no hope and she was without God. But it's not as if God, it's not as if Jesus was unwilling to help people like that. It's just that he was not seemingly willing to help this woman. She was a false god worshiper, worshiping Eshmoon, the healing god. In fact, I cannot help, Paul makes it clear that all false gods are demons. I can't help but to wonder if maybe it was her own false worship that opened up her daughter to demonic influence to begin with. But it wasn't that he was unwilling to help other people just like her. It's just that he wouldn't help her, seemingly. But now we're starting to see something that Jesus is doing. And we're seeing it in kind of baby step form here. You see, she had no reason to expect any answer of prayer from Jesus whatsoever. And he is making that all too clear to her. That there was nothing intrinsic in herself. There was nothing in her that deserved anything from Jesus. She had no reason whatsoever to expect anything from Jesus. And that if Jesus was going to act on her behalf, it was going to have to be completely and totally of his own free grace. And she needs to know that. Just like all of us need to know that. Today. So we're starting to see something here. And, as, and as, many, as many times as Christians have asked God, why are you so blessing? Why are you blessing the church down the street but not us? Why are you doing this for them but not me? Why are you saving everyone else's children but not mine? Why are you doing all of this? And so many people when they are praying that and they're feeling that frustration, they might be tempted to give up but not this woman. She presses on. She perseveres. And we see that we must persevere in our faith even when God seems unwilling. Even when God seems unwilling. Look what she does. She came and knelt before him. In other words, she had been crying out, crying out, crying out, trying to get his attention, trying to get his attention. And now she makes it to where he has no other choice but to stop and pay attention to her. He She bows down before him, kneels before him, and you can just hear the desperation in her voice. Lord, help me. Can't you just hear that desperation? Imagine yourself as a parent wanting your child to be whole, wanting your child to be healed. And now here is Jesus walking down the street, Jesus himself, whom you've heard so much about. You've sat in Sunday school and heard how powerful he is. You've heard, you've heard him say all of these things, joy unspeakable. Come to me, all you who are heavy and, and, and brokenhearted. I will give you rest. You've heard all of this stuff. And yet it doesn't seem to be happening for you. And now you're you're face to face with him, kneeling down and screaming in utter desperation, Lord, help. Why won't you help me? You ever prayed that before? Sure you have. And Jesus' reply here is just confusing. Confusing. Because here's what he says in verse 26. He says to her, face to face, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What? What? Jesus, how could you say that? Why in the world would you say something like this? We see the desperation of this woman. And he looks at her and says, I can't take what belongs to Israel and give it to dogs. You know the insinuation there. And I've heard people trying to soften this, right? They say, well, she's, he's talking about a cute little puppy, you know, like, uh, like my Nugget, for example. I love my Nugget, he's the best dog in the world, I'm just kidding, he's a total jerk, but he's mine. He's a little Yorkie slash Maltese, and he has all the attitude of both. And I just love this little dog. He's so cute. He makes the cutest pictures, and he's just, oh, he's just so precious. I love him. And little Bella, little Minnie Chihuahua, you know what she was doing yesterday? Uh, she loves fries from McDonald's, and she has figured out uh, that where fries from McDonald's comes from. And so she dug in the trash, got a box, set it in front of Roxanne, barked at her, and then went by the door and was waiting and then she ran back, picked up the box again, shook it, set it down, barked at Roxanne, went by the door again, and waited. And Roxanne and I are like, we are not going to get you French fries, okay? And then Hannah comes home from work, and guess what she has in her hands? French fries. And guess what she gives to Bella? French fries. And guess what we just taught Bella, right? We've taught her how to get French fries, right? And some people say that when when Jesus is talking about a dog, he's using a little cute puppy like that. I don't think dogs were domesticated at this point. I think they were these mangy little mutts that went around the neighborhood, and they were just a nuisance to everywhere they went. They were scavengers. they They were just horrible, mangy, disgusting. And the word dogs is never used in a positive way in Scripture, never once. For example, in uh, Philippians 3.2, Paul says, beware of the dogs, evil workers, false circumcision. Revelation 22.15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices lying. When Jews talk about dogs, this is what they're talking about. And Jesus says, it is not right to take the crumbs of Israel to take the bread of Israel and give it to dogs. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. And it's a little confusing, isn't it? I mean, we don't normally see Jesus respond like this, do we? I mean, it just seems so rude and so flippant and so non-caring of him. It's not a pretty picture, and you must understand that he is not incorrect, that there is no merit whatsoever for her to even approach Jesus on her own. There is nothing that she has within her. She is from a pagan religion. She is a false worshiper. She's an enemy of God. In fact, had Israel obeyed God in the first place, then she would never have even existed. She literally has no right to be on the earth whatsoever. And the only hope that she had. She had nothing to offer Jesus. She had nothing to give to Jesus. She had nothing to pay Jesus with. She had nothing that would earn any merit with Jesus whatsoever. All she knew is that here was one who could heal her daughter and all she could do was cry out to his grace and cry out to his mercy. You know what? Many believe that God could never be so gracious to such a person, to such a sinner, but not this woman. She believed that God was graceful. Even though she had nothing to give, she believed God was graceful. And what's amazing, and beloved, here's what we see, the last point, number four, is that we must persevere in our faith because God is always graceful. I want you to notice in verse 27, here's what she says. Yes, Lord. She agrees with him. Yes, Lord. I have no reason to ask you what I am asking you. I have nothing that I can expect from you. I deserve nothing from you. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Let me ask you a question. What might have happened if she said, Lord, please heal my daughter, and he says, okay, boom, she's healed, she goes on. What might have happened there? Probably nothing. Her daughter would be healed, go on to live a life of, uh, of the same kind of evil that this woman lived, and probably die and go to hell. Would that have helped anyone? No. No. But I want you to notice what this woman does. Number one, she confessed him. Yes, Lord. She understands who he is, that he has total sovereign right to deny her request. He is the Lord God. He is the sovereign king. And I have, and, and the only way I can ever approach God is by appealing to his grace and appealing to his mercy. She confesses him. She, even if he never answered her prayer, it would not change who God is. But not only this, she confesses her sin. She not only accepted his calling her a dog, she even agreed with it. She says, yes, Lord, I understand who I am. Yes, Lord, I understand who I am to the Jews. I understand this is confession. She agreed with God concerning her condition. She understood exactly who she was. But not only that, she professed faith. She recognized the ability power, dignity, as well as her unworthiness. Beloved, do you understand what she's saying here? Yes, but even the dogs that uh, eat the crumbs from their master's table, she's saying, yes, Lord, I am unworthy. Yes, Lord, you are Lord. Yes, I am a dog, but I also know that you are so merciful and you are so graceful that even if all I get is a little drop, even if all I get is a little crumb of your mercy, it is enough. It's all I need. One drop of Jesus's blood is enough to cure me of all of my sin and separation before God. One ounce of his mercy is enough to forgive all of my sin and all of my debt. And now we see exactly what Jesus was doing in her life. You see, in verse 28, Jesus answers her, Oh, woman, don't, don't be uh, tricked by that because this word woman is a very affectionate name. Oh, woman, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. You see, the whole time he loved her, and the whole time, He was doing something for her. He was doing something within her. He acknowledges her faith. He shows his love. He acknowledges her faith, and he heals her daughter. What if Jesus had answered graciously the first time? You know, she might have walked away with a healed daughter, but she would have walked away with an uncured heart. She would have walked away with maybe clean hands, but she would have walked away still with a defiled heart. And you see, that's what's happening here. Go back to the Pharisees. What happened? They came to Jesus with clean hands, but they left Jesus with a defiled heart. But this woman who came to Jesus, who deserved nothing from Jesus and recognized that and professed her faith in him, she came to Jesus with defiled hands. But she left Jesus with a clean heart. And that makes all the difference. Beloved, here's the point. Here's the point. You get nothing else today. Please remember this. How do we understand when we're going through a difficult time and God seems silent and he seems to be waiting to answer your prayers and and sometimes maybe in this whole life, he may never answer your prayer the way you want him to. It may be that you end up having to train your replacement at work. It may be all of these other things that happen. The divorce may eventually happen. All of these things may may occur. The cancer may never go away. The sickness may never stop. All of these things, the blindness may never be healed. But listen to me, beloved, listen to me. What God is doing in your heart is more important than what you want God to do for your body. Do you hear that? What God is doing within you is so often more important than what we want God to do for us. And that's exactly what this woman is teaching us. This woman whose faith is so great that her story has been inscribed and inspired into the word of God so that all generations of Christians will see her story. Why? Because she came to Jesus with defiled hands. But she left with a clean heart. And she left with a healed daughter. So, beloved, which one are you this morning? Are you approaching God with clean hands? Is your life cleaned up? You've got everything under control? You're, you're, you're projecting this image that everything is right in my life? Are you coming to Jesus with clean hands, but you know that in your heart of hearts that you have a defiled heart? And are you gonna leave here today with a defiled heart? Or beloved, are you coming here today with defiled hands, with unclean hands? Your life is dirty. You've got baggage. You've come with history. You've got all of these things going on, and you understand that you're a sinner And you have come with unclean hands and you know that, beloved, this morning, hear me, hear me, you can leave this morning with a clean heart. And that's what happens. That's what this text is all about. Would you rather have clean hands or would you rather have a clean heart? How can we have a clean heart? Because Jesus Christ, just like we said, we are unworthy, We are enemies of God. We have no right to be living. Every breath we take is a gift of his common grace to us that he has delayed judgment for all the lost who live. We understand that. We know that. We have no right to be on this earth. God should have judged Adam the moment he sinned. And we understand that we are sinners and we understand that we have nothing to offer to God. We have nothing to ingratiate ourselves to God. But God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who is all God, who is all man. And he came and lived the perfect righteousness that you and I deserve, earned it on our behalf. And then he went to the cross and he died for our penalty. He died so that we can be forgiven. And because God was satisfied with that payment, because it was enough, because it was finished, as as Christ cried from the cross, it is finished, because it was finished to prove that Jesus raised from the dead on the third day showing that he had defeated death, he had defeated hell, he had defeated the grave, and now he offers new life to all who place their hope and faith in him, who trust in his penalty, his death for full forgiveness of sin, and trust in him for a new life. In Jesus Christ and beloved Jesus ascended to God the Father. He's sitting at the right hand and he's offering himself to each and every one of us this morning as a deliverer from the wrath of God. We have a word for that in the church. We say, Savior. He's offering himself to you as a Savior. Four young men came and professed him as their Savior this morning, but I'd love to have a fifth one. I'd love to have a sixth one. I'd love to have a seventh person. If you're here this morning, and you're trusting in clean hands, I want you to understand, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It is what comes out of your heart. Your heart must be clean. And the only way that can happen is through Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf. Father, I pray this morning that you have come before us, that you have superintended your word, I pray, Lord, that maybe there is someone here this morning who needs to be right with God. Maybe there's one here this morning who needs to have their sins washed away, their guilt forgiven, their debt taken away from them, removed from them and from their soul. There's one here who needs a clean heart, or maybe they need the burden of sin lifted off their shoulders. Lord, whatever the case may be, I pray that this morning you would speak to their hearts, help them to recognize their need, and come to you and for complete and total salvation. Lord, maybe there's one, a Christian here this morning who's struggling because they've been praying for something for years. And yet, for whatever reason, in your sovereign timing and wisdom, you've chosen not to answer that prayer in the, way they, in the way that they would have you do so. But maybe it's because, Lord, you're doing something in them. Maybe it's because you're teaching them perseverance, teaching them patience, teaching them endurance and faithfulness. And maybe they've given up. Lord, I pray you would bring them back to yourself this morning, that they may know the fullness, even in the dark nights of the soul that we go through. Lord, may they know you, and may they take great rest in the fact that whatever comes in our lives is working out to the praise of the glory of your grace and to the eternal magnification of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to stand. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment and just reflect on what we have said this morning. As the instrumentalists play, and I am going to ask you are you suffering from what is seemingly unanswered prayer? What seems to be a silent God? What seems to be a God who's paying you no attention? Maybe you're seeing all these blessings in others' lives and you're wondering, why not me? Maybe you're seeing all the things that are happening in other churches and you're wondering, why not Calvary? Whatever it is, this morning, we instead of asking those questions, will you ask, Lord, how do you want me to be more like Jesus Christ? What are you doing in me that will make me glorify you all the more? I ask you to reflect on that. If you have a need, you can come.